everyone, it's Elizabeth. Life on Side B is a ministry of posture shift, a missiological ministry equipping churches to enhance LGBTQ plus inclusion and care. You can learn more about their work at PostureShift.com. We want to thank all of our patrons who keep the podcast going and growing through their continued giving. If you love this podcast, consider being a patron at Patreon.com slash Life on Side B. And now on to the episode. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Life on Side B. Really excited about uh, the conversation that we are going to have today um, about conversation in a way, um, conversation not necessarily amongst people, but uh, conversation with God. We're going to talk with a couple of um, just incredible ministers and uh, siblings in Christ about what prayer life looks like for them. Uh, they have written and shared some incredible things over the years about um, prayer and what a richness it can bring to uh, a Christian's life. And so I'm really excited about the conversation we're going to have today um, with Wesley Hill and John Stark. And my co-host for today is Ashley. What's up, Ashley? Hi, guys. How are you doing? Um, I'm a little sick, so my voice is going to sound pretty wonky and I'll mute frequently to cough. <laughs> So it's it's that time of year again between uh rising covid again and allergies and just general life we all sound a little iffy. Um I walk around I want to put my kids in shirts that says don't worry we just have asthma because of the way they sound and people still stare at us so often. So I understand muting's fine. Well, John and Wes, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, when we start with John, this is a question that we um, ask each of our guests for every episode. Tell us about yourself and um, how you identify as a human being. What What is it you want people to know about you? Hmm. Um, John, um, married to Jenna, we're actually going to be celebrating 20 years coming up pretty soon. Um, wow. Congratulations. Thank you. Four kids. We're actually going to be, Becca, are you in Chattanooga? I am. Yes. So we're hopefully going to be um, actually taking our oldest daughter to visit um, college there in Chattanooga. Or Excellent. Um, hopefully. We'll see. Um, but yes, four kids. We um, live in a, a fairly small apartment for the six of us and just hopefully people don't call social services on us. That's what we're <laughs> regularly wondering. Um, That's right. Pastor here in New York and uh, we've been here for a little bit over 11 years. Awesome. Wes, how about you, friend? Yeah, well, thanks for having us. It's great to be here. I... Um, there's a lot to say, I guess. I've, I've been part of the Side B world for a long time and really appreciate this community. Uh, I would identify as Side B myself. I um, realized that I was not straight when I was in my early teens and um, kind of through a process of prayer, uh, which we're talking about today, and wrestling with friends, wrestling with scripture, um, 
uh, embraced a celibate calling. So I live uh, as a single person, um, committed to uh, Jesus and wanting to walk more closely with Jesus all the time. I also share a home with um, a couple and their two children who are my godchildren. Um, they're soon to be six and three, so it's uh, it's a fun age, uh, a handful of an age. Yes. Um, lots of uh, testing of the boundaries and all those sorts of fun things. Oh, yes. Um, but I, my day job, I divide my time between Michigan and Pennsylvania. I teach uh, at Western Theological Seminary in Holland, Michigan, and I also serve on staff at Trinity Cathedral in Pittsburgh as, a, as an assisting priest. So, um, yeah, I wear a couple of different hats professionally. That is, that is a big split too. I know that, that, um, working at, at Western is a relatively new thing. You just finished up your first year, that's right? right? That's right. Yep. Good. So it's going yeah. well so far. I'm excited about that for you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's, it's a, a great place. place. Very much so. Well, um, first question I have is one a little, um, personal to me. Um, <laughs> I would love to hear the stories of how you got connected with Revoice. You both serve on the advisory board for Revoice. Um, so tell us a little bit about that, how you got connected um, with, with Revoice and what you do as a part of that advisory board. Well, so I, um, I think a lot of us in the Side B community, um, when Exodus international closed. I think I want to say that was 2014, 15. I may be wrong about that. Oh, Burger 14, Call was 2015. 14. So yeah. it was it was just before that. And um, you know, myself, Ron Belgao and some others, we were wondering what's gonna fill the gap. Because for all of its flaws and problems, Exodus provided a lot of fellowship for people yeah. who were who were in the same boat. And so um, you know, we were wondering about, could there be a kind of like a replacement conference or, or gathering? Right. And unbeknownst to me, you know, Nate Collins, my friend was asking the same kind of questions. Um, I've known Nate for a long time, well before he started Revoice. And, uh, so he and I talked and he invited me to speak at the first conference. And I think like a lot of people who were there, I just felt so incredibly, buoyed up by the worship and uh the camaraderie the um it was it was a real inspiration for my faith and discipleship in a lot of ways so i i wasn't able to be there last year but i'm coming back this year so i'm 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 honored to be a part of it and and really i mean i probably shouldn't say this as someone who's one of the speakers but i mainly go for the friendship and the fellowship i mean the, the, <laughs> speaking, the speaking is the icing on the cake you know but it's not the, that's right it's not the main event <laughs> Yeah, if you promise not to tell anybody, Nate and I That's go right. mainly for the fellowship too. So, That's right. yeah. <laughs> what about you, John? Um, you're coming from a, a different perspective here as um, a yeah. pastor from um, together a relatively conservative denomination. You and I. Um, so how how does a how does a pastor um, like you end up in a, a side B world advisory board? Um, I don't know actually quite a bit of, of why, but um, I think even previous to been to when Revoice started, um, uh, I just admired 
um, a lot of the leaders. Um, I'd been following Wes for a long time. I re- remember when this first book, Washed and Waiting, came out, and um, he and and Ron started, or and I can't remember who else was writing, but the spiritual friendship and blog and um, and being a minister here in New York um, uh, with a range of people experiencing, uh, whether it's just gender issues, um, or sexuality issues and trying to follow Jesus or even try to provide resources of, of following Christ and being faithful in that way. Um, but also having a, trying to be a general, um, generous presence in that yeah. community. Um, and just trying to find resources as a family to be a hospitable um, place. And so Wes's and Ron and others have been a huge encouragement to me. And um, and even just having close family members and friends being hugely encouraged by Revoice. I mean, I've been able to share with Wes just how personally Revoice has encouraged um, close family members. And that's been a huge help. Um, and so it's just been... Um, yeah, just a huge encouragement to be even just a, an advocate, um, for revoice and, um, I wish, wish there was more, um, but, um, yeah, just being, I think just a a regular ordinary advocate for, for the ministry. I think it has such an important place and power, um, for those of us who are both trying to minister to, um, of the gay community uh, in meaningful ways, but also just be a friend for those who I think church has been a lonely place for a really long time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And I just, I just do whatever Wesley tells us to do as far as theological <laughs> posture. So. Can we, I, um, we appreciate it. For those of us who don't know the ins and outs and our listeners are probably curious, what's an advisory board? There you go. Right. It's distinguished from a board of because I've I've seen it discussed in places. <laughs> yes, who's who does what? So let's. So typically, an organization will have a board of trustees or a board of directors who are responsible for the uh, financial stability of the institution, the kind of vision and trajectory of the institution, mm-hmm. and then the advisory board is often a group of sort of friends and consultants who can. Uh, share perspectives or um, criticisms, but really don't have the kind of uh, leadership authority that a board of directors would have. Um, Becca, does that sound right? That does sound right. <laughs> yeah, we basically contact one or more of y'all when there's something that comes up and we're like, oh, <laughs> and we need more brains than just the two or three of us to, and more prayer. That's That's yeah. a lot of it. How yeah. do we how do we handle this wisely, diplomatically, prayerfully? Yeah. And in that group of of people has been fantastic for helping us with things like that. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So great question. I need to think about things like that. Like there's a difference between a governing board and an advisory board and Yeah, because like I don't remember where it was. I saw somebody was talking about like it was this of this that or who's on this with revoice and who does that and i'm like i don't know what any of that is <laughs> yeah. 
we have a we have a small board of directors that generally like we report to them. They are they are our boss. They're Nate's boss. Um, and and that is like the ruling governing kind of stuff. And these amazing people um, are the wisdom and the prayer and the theology and all of those wonderful things. So they, they do a good job lifting us up when when we need the help. And that's on like a weekly basis. So. So intercessory and brainstorming group. Exactly. Oh, I like that. We'll have to make y'all t-shirts that say that. <laughs> and the, and I like title. it. That's right. Well, speaking of intercessory, because I know that that is a lot of the the spiritual energy and work that you provide for us. How how would you? Um, we'll start with Wes with this one. How, how do you define prayer? What what does that mean when somebody says, "What is prayer"? Um, how, how would you explain that to somebody that maybe had no understanding, no relationship um, with a spiritual life? What mm. is prayer? Mm. Yeah. So one of the, maybe even the distinctive um, confidence that Christians have is that God is not simply a power or a uh, an energy, but God is personal. God is relational. Um, the the one who is responsible for our life, the one who brought us into being, the one who made us, wants relationship with us. And so prayer is our response to God verbally, um, even emotionally, maybe we could say, um, to God's personal invitation and seeking of us. Um yeah. So, you know, I think, I think most simply people will talk about prayer as, as talking to God. It's, it's entering into a, a dialogical relationship with God where, um, I mean, I think about that wonderful title of the Anne Lamott book, Help, Thanks, Wow. <laughs> those are the yes. those are three basic <laughs> prayers. We, we, we call out to God in our need, asking for help. Um, we express praise and gratitude to God. Thanks. Uh, and um we express reverence and awe wow lord look at how beautiful you are look at what you have done in the world um that's the way i think about prayer yeah don't know if i would add much um ronald rollheiser um uh he described prayer as um getting close enough to god to hear him say i love you and I, mm-hmm. I think that's just a, mm-hmm. a, a good ordinary uh, description of what the pursuit of prayer is. I mm-hmm. think in a fundamental yeah. way is just, I don't think that will always be the experience. Um, just thinking about this morning, um, got up late and um, had to take the kids to school and got to the office and read through a few passages and did do a few prayers and try to sit and quiet for a minute and, and not much happened. Um, but I think the, the ordinary path of prayer is trying to get close enough to God to hear him say, I love you. And it's, um, you know, it's a, in the, in the Bible, it talks a lot about, um, being in Christ and, 
all the provisions that are there of um, we we can experience or at least pursue the experience of the kind of joy that the son has with the father, um, the communion that the, the son has with the father. And so it's one of the few places in life where you can just be yourself and be loved. And um, in a performative world that has formed us to maybe try to impulsively have a more curated life, um, that consistent time of just being yourself and being loved, I think is a, is a really important human experience that we need. Um, and we oftentimes don't get that just with ordinary relationships. And the father is consistently the one who's providing that context for us. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah I love that. I've, I've never heard that, that quote before. That's a beautiful way of looking at it. That, um, it, it does bring that closeness of, I think sometimes I, I would probably need it to be close enough to hear God whisper that because mm-hmm. I, I would like to keep a distance and just make sure if he shouts that I can hear it over a hillside somewhere, but like to close enough to be in, in that kind of conversation. That's it's a, um, one of the very first, like in, in youth at the mission, you have your discipleship training school and all your first classes are very, very basic. It's lots of how to hear the voice of God. What is prayer? Um, you know, all these things. And one of the things, an example they gave that I always really liked was like that a little kid can be like lost in the store and their mom is going to shout their name and they will immediately turn around and know it's mom. Like I know that voice above all this noise. Someone else calls and they're not going to hear it. And like, we need to be consistent in our prayer life that kind of like Beck was saying that like, if he's far away, which God's not, it's us that's far away. But like, if we're a little far away, when he calls, he's like, hey, hey, mm-hmm. we're like, oh, mom's calling. That's right. <laughs> we can recognize it above all the noise that that surrounds us. Mm-hmm. I love that. And what do you guys think is like a practice of prayer that's helped you the most? Because I think that prayer is so multifunctional in a way like it has so many purposes in our lives it's to help us with so many things it has so many ways that it can be done I'm the type of person I don't really think there's a right or wrong way to pray but I think there are many different ways to pray and different ones that work for everybody so what do you guys find has brought you helped you connect more with Jesus or helped you in a in a difficult time most whoever wants to go Uh, I, yeah, I really do think it's probably depending on the season for me. Um, I struggle regularly with, um, depression. And so, um, in those seasons I've, I've learned that there are are certain patterns and prayers that are more helpful. Um, uh, I think just on the normal, uh, ordinary day of prayer, um, I can, just do a Lexio Divinia and just pray through a passage, make some, just some personal notes, um, and just walk through what, what do I adore God, um, about God because of this truth? What, what am I confessing? Um, what kind of truths can I trust in to give me confidence and assurance of his grace and presence? And, and what do I need? And those are just 
just some normal, ordinary, sustaining ways. Um, but in seasons of some pretty heavy darkness, um, which I, I think I regularly experience, um, and trying to learn how to manage as um, I enter 40s, um, is uh, I, I had a, a counselor uh, whose, whose name is Rich Plass, and um, he has a, um, a great, he, he just encouraged me because I, I struggle with shame. So I, I walk into a room and I sort of immediately wonder why am I in this conversation? Why, what's not just what's, what's, what have I done wrong, but what's wrong with me? Um, and, and he's encouraged me just to think about prayer at times like that when I'm sitting with scripture and imagine um, that Jesus is just sitting next to me and what would he want me to see? and point out in the scripture, what would he say from this passage? Um, and since then, even growing past that a little bit, not past it, maybe more is even sitting with the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Just imagine if I'm sitting with the Father, what what would he want me to see from this passage? Um, what would he want me to know? Um, what would Jesus, my advocate, friend, brother, um, co-heir, what truths would he want me to grasp from this passage? What would the spirit who's a counselor and friend, what would he want to remind me of? And they're just that, that personal element um, has been really helpful in just experiencing God in a more relational way that he really does love me because he loves me, not because I've performed in a certain way or I've become something different than what I, I feel like I am or I've, uh, becomes something that he would be impressed with. He just loves me and he's talking to me. He's re- reassuring me. Um, and that has just been a helpful exercise. It, it seems to open up a part of my heart that that gets closed off pretty easily in those darker times. Yeah. Um, so does that, does that help? Does that make sense? Yeah. That does. Perfect yeah. sense. I'm in a, I think a similar place to John in many ways. I also struggle with depression and have for years. And um, I've had a long standing battle with loneliness. I think a lot of us who are celibate are constantly circling back to that in some ways. And um, I also am about to turn 41. Uh, As we're recording this, it'll be in a couple weeks. And um, man, the whole second chapter of life thing, it turns out it's a real thing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, it is. I remember hearing all Don't these... go having a midlife crisis on us, Wes. I Come know, on. right? Yeah. So, um, so I think I'm, um, I'm happy to have found the Book of Common Prayer. It's it's mm-hmm. a kind of anchor for me, and I don't I don't have to wake up every morning and reinvent the wheel. I know what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be praying, you know, for God to forgive me of my sins. I'm going to be digging into the Psalms. Um, the prayer book of God's people, the prayer book of Jesus himself. I'm going to be hearing God's word, Old and New Testament, and I'm going to be responding with the Lord's Prayer um, and intercessions. So all of that has been helpful just as a kind of almost like a baseline. Like I don't, I know that that's the anchor. And then other parts of my prayer life will kind of shoot off from that. But I want to read you all something I I stumbled across this a few years ago, and it was super, super helpful to me. So this is a quote 
from a theologian who's now dead. Uh, his name is Herbert McCabe. Um, he was a Dominican uh, priest and preacher, and uh, he was a scholar of St. Thomas Aquinas. But listen to what oh, he wow. says about prayer. This is really, really helpful. He says, when you pray, consider what you want and need and never mind how ordinary or childish it might appear. If you want very much to pass that exam or get to know that girl or boy better, that is what you should pray for. You could let world peace rest for a while. You may not be ready yet to want that passionately. When you pray, you must come before God as honestly as you can. There is no point in pretending to God. One of the great human values of prayer is that you face the facts about yourself and admit to what you want. And you know you can talk about this to God because he is totally loving and accepting. Mm -hmm. In true prayer, you must meet God and meet yourself where you really are. For it is just by this that God will move you on from where you really are. Prayer is a bit of a risk. If you pray and acknowledge your most infantile desires, there's every danger that you may grow up a bit, that God will grow you up. When as honestly as you can, you speak to God of your desires very gently and tactfully, God will often reveal to you that in fact, you have deeper and more mature desires. But there's only one way to find this out, to start from where you are. It's no good pretending to yourself that you're full of high-minded aspirations. You have to wait until you are. If a child is treated as though she were already an adult, she will never become an adult. Prayer is the way in which our Father in Heaven leads each of us by different paths to be saints. That is to say, to be with Him. I just find that so helpful because I think there wow. are so many times I sit down to pray and I think, I should really be praying for Ukraine and I care about Ukraine, but actually what's, what's on my mind right now is that painful conversation I just had with my housemate and I'm feeling yucky about how it went. That's what's occupying me. Yeah. So if I'm not talking to God about that, I may not be ever in a place where I can actually pray for Ukraine in a way that is, you know, helpful and, and not selfish. So, um, I'll, I'll add one more thing. The other thing that I um, sometimes struggle with is intercessory prayer, praying for other people, mm -hmm. interceding for other people. And I heard Rowan Williams say a few years ago, he said that the, the best way that he knows of to think about intercessory prayer is that it is holding someone that you care about consciously in the presence of Jesus. Oh, that's and beautiful. I just think that's lovely because yeah. I don't always know what to verbalize for people. But I can always picture someone and I can I can sort of consciously, as it were, place them in the presence of Jesus and say, you know, Lord, notice them, be near them, take care of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I can do that even when I always yeah. I may not always know what else to do. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's something that's become um, a I don't want to say popular because sometimes that seems trite, but a phrase to share when you know people are going through a difficult time to say that you're, you're saving space for them or you're yeah. setting space aside. Love that. And um, 
at first I was like, I don't really understand what that means. But the more I thought about it, it was like, okay, you are just trying to create a spot. And for me, the way I see that is creating a spot in, in the chaos and the jumble of what my life can be to just say, I'm going to set some time aside to, to think about, to consider you, to, to place you before the father. And that's, that's a beautiful way of saying that. I really do. I'd appreciate that. Um, I thank both of you for, for being so um, just honest and transparent about struggles with depression. I know that that has become um, a more pronounced struggle, especially um, the last couple of years dealing with loneliness and isolation uh, with COVID, especially that um, those who, who have ongoing struggle, the struggle has been greater. And those who may not have ever considered depression being a struggle have, have dealt with that um, yeah. at times. And, and this season, our focus has been on resilience. Um, and so that, that can tie in really closely with depression. So how yeah. have y'all found that your prayer life um, connects you to an idea of resilience? Hmm. Well, yeah, depression has just uh, um, what Wes was talking about. Yeah, I really didn't start ex- really experiencing um, depression and, until, I don't know, it was probably after 35, and so I'm turning 41 soon as well. Um, and um, that's just been, it was a surprise. I've always thought of myself as a very resilient person. Mm. Um, and, and I think in some ways, um, I think that's true. I think our, my wife and I, and even our kids have had to be resilient in different seasons. I think what I'm recognizing on this side of, um, physiologically, I'm a different person at 40 than I was at 30. And, um, that's a little humbling because I had kind of desires and passions and ambitions that brought me through hard things and got me excited to think about hard, difficult seasons, not excited, but you know what I mean? The the ability to, to persevere. Um, and on this side of maybe, uh, my story is maybe recognizing that that resilience was maybe more physiological than like maybe spiritual and uh when that physiological reality has been lessened the the truth of my maybe spiritual resiliency was exposed and needing um needing to really experience um the lord's strength um and maybe experience a few wilderness seasons um to to recognize what i can really grab for and reach for in, in some difficult seasons rather than just kind of depending on what might've been physiologically previous. That isn't true (laughs) anymore. Um, uh, but I think the Lord's been really gracious to that. Um, I do think probably, uh, culturally we're, we're a fairly fragile, um, people because we tend to now be, I think, a little bit more uh, performative. Um, Mm. And, um, you know, we we have a curated version of ourselves for people to see and um, be approve of and to think we're doing okay. And that that does, when that's 
when that becomes sort of your normal way of being, that can create a pretty fragile person. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the normal, ordinary experience of following the the practice of Jesus of don't perform your righteousness or don't perform your your good life before others, right. um, but have a secret one with the Father. Um, I do think long term, that's probably a, a deeper path towards resilience than anything else. Um, it is just a deeper wisdom. I don't think maybe Jesus had a, at the same kind of performative age that we have now, but there's something there, that path of just a secret life with the Father that mm-hmm. seems to be really important for long-term persevering faith and strength in the end. Yeah, it's it's almost like in the um, in the fitness world, uh, people who focus more on nutrition, they're like, you can have a six pack, you can be lean, and you can be cut, and you can be unhealthy, yeah. because it's what you're putting in your body, it's what you're eating, it's there's <clears throat> so much more to health than the way you look, and a lot of time we confuse skinny with healthy, and that's just not true. Yeah, and it's like the same thing with like you can perform this big spiritual life but when you're in your home when you're by yourself it can be different and I wanted to ask like you guys are talking about how you had seasons of and still have seasons of depression and prayer has helped you with that and I remember when I was a lot younger that also to be true but what do you think you guys could say to people that are really experiencing some heavy mental health issues and the only advice people are giving them is just like just just keep praying or like you know keep seeking keep seeking the lord and it's like that is very good advice definitely need that but that is also i know you guys are not saying that that's the only thing people need i know you're not saying that but i was just wondering if you could speak to that since we're kind of just touching on that subject yeah I, i appreciate what you said there at the end about it's not an either or i mean i'm very thankful for my antidepressant medication and my uh my doctor um but it's not, yes, yes. it's not that versus prayer or, um, exactly. um, you know, so one of the books that I, uh, kind of imprinted on when I was in my twenties was a book called darkness is my only companion mm-hmm. by Catherine green McCright. Uh, she is an Episcopal priest. Um, she serves in new Haven, Connecticut, and she suffers from bipolar disorder and she has this line in the book that like grabbed me when I read it. She said, uh, in my worst moments of depression, the only thing I could do was strap myself to the prayers and praises of Israel, meaning the wow. Psalms. Um, and the image there is of being in a boat and the storm is raging. And you ask your fellow sailors to sort of lash you to the mast, you know, so that you won't go sliding off the deck. And it's that kind of idea. Like, let me, let me attach myself to this prayer book that God has given us, the Psalms, which as we know, it expresses the whole range of human emotions. I think Calvin calls it a mirror for the soul. Mm. Um, But here's the thing. I mean, I have found when you're really depressed, sometimes you can't even open the Psalms to read them. And this is where I would, I would just get really, really practical and say, you know, there are a number of Zoom groups or Facebook groups where people are meeting in the morning to pray morning prayer together. Just Mm -hmm. log on. You don't even have to say anything. Just let, let those prayers carry you. 
Um, there are also a number of really good apps. So the one that I use mostly is called a morning at the office. It's like a little pun. It means the daily office, the, the daily round of prayer. And you may not even feel like you can say it out loud, but you can listen. You can put your headphones on and listen to those prayers. The ESV uh, just released the entire Bible. Um, uh, Kristen Getty, who's a worship leader, she read the entire ESV translation. You can get that right there oh. in the app. It's all free. And, um, you know, you could just listen to her read the Psalms. <laughs> so, you know, there, there, are ways, there are ways I think that we can strap ourselves to the prayers and praises of Israel, even if we don't even feel physically capable of speaking. <laughs> I think it might make me feel a little better if I was listening to Kristen, like, read the phone book. She has I know, such right? a, exactly. a soothing, exactly. delightful voice. Exactly. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah, I frequently um, listen to the Psalms on the uh, Streetlights uh, Bible app. And that's a that's always a good There are a lot of good apps. To just listen. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. There's another one that I really like called Pray As You Go. Um, so there's there's lots of good resources. John, I don't know if you want to jump in here and add anything. Uh, well, I was just going to say, I um, during COVID, uh, a lot of my prayer times, I just went through uh, Phyllis Tickle's um, The Divine Hours, and mm-hmm. it has a morning, noon, and evening. And it's very much, you know, um, it, it kind of gathers a lot of traditional prayers and reads through scriptures. You do you, um, say the Lord's Prayer and the Gloria every day. And, um, I think probably for about eight months, that's, that's what kind of sustained me through some pretty more difficult times through COVID. Um, and yeah, just allowed me to maybe sit through some of those prayers. I didn't do all of them through the whole way. Every time, sometimes it was just kind of reading through one of the prayers and just sitting with it and being slow. And there's a part of me that says I have to finish everything. Um, so I'll finish a lot of bad books because of that. Um, but, uh, I think I, it, it allowed me just to kind of go through it and it's, she has, uh, a book for springtime, summer and winter and fall. So there's three, three prayer yeah. books. That's practical. Yeah. It's, it's super, very, very practical. Yeah. But it's good. Um, I, I really, really loved it. I love getting to hear these sorts of resources that are available because a lot of that is still, I'm learning, it's new to me. Um, Having grown up in a tradition that if you're copying somebody else's words, it's not real prayer. Um, That there have been times though that I have been so burdened or so exhausted or whatever might be going on that it's like, I just don't have anything to say. And then those those stretches of not talking with God would could go on for long periods of time. And so being able to see and to understand the usefulness of having these prayers that others have have shared and have written and that tie you not only to keeping you tied to God but keeping you connected with a body of faith that there is something comforting and something powerful when you think about the fact that these are prayers that other Christians have prayed for hundreds of years 
and they have found comfort in them. And so if the Holy Spirit has used it for this much time in fellow believers, why would I think it would not be beneficial for me? Um, it, I, one of my favorites currently still is uh, Tish Warren's newest book on prayer in the night. That, yeah, that's very good. Um, we did it as a, a book club read uh, when it first came out. And that helped me really see and understand that it wasn't just me having that problem with the idea of prayer, that, that that is what these, why God gives us these things of when you can't pray for yourself, use these to talk to me, um, was such a, a helpful way of, of seeing those, those types of prayers. And now I, I use that more than I freestyle as we used to, to joke about calling it. Um, when when you can't pray, we've talked a lot about these these books that have helped um, the common prayer, reading through the Psalms, especially. Um, is there any sort of specific advice that you would give someone that that they're just struggling to to pray, that they they don't feel that they can talk to God, that they don't deserve to, or they just don't want to? Um, what are some advice, some pastoral words that you might give somebody that they just don't feel like they can pray, and but they want to. Um, how, how would you help them to kind of start back into that that process of a prayer life? I think that um, for a lot of us in the side B world, shame can be a real barrier to prayer. Um, you know, I feel like because I'm gay or bisexual or struggling with my gender identity, God is somehow um, you know less pleased with me. And therefore, I'm I'm on shakier ground with God yeah. because of that. Um, I think also disappointment in prayer could be a real hindrance. You know, yeah. I've prayed to become heterosexual for years and years and years and haven't experienced any sign that God wants to shift anything for me. And so you can yeah. you can struggle with bitterness. I think all these things are real. Um, there's a passage in Eve Tushnet's latest book. I know she's a friend of this podcast. Yes. Where she talks about um, how much of a struggle it is to pray when you're trapped in a sin. Mm. You, know, you feel like I got to clean up my act before I talk to God. Yeah. And she says, yeah. I would just encourage people, even if you're trapped in a sin, still cry out. You know, yeah. like don't wait until you've somehow, until you think you've escaped. Like cry out from where you are right now. Uh, that was really encouraging to me. Um, I also think I've, I've been in the last few years, I've been really, really impacted by reading Martin Luther and mm. Luther just points out that a lot of the way we actually live, it really does seem like God is against us. And Luther, Luther says that that vision of God that we have as being opposed to us, we have to run away from that image of God and run to the God mm. who is revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. God has shown us who God is, and it is it, God is the one who has laid down his life and risen from the dead to to grab us and love us and take us to be with God forever. And we have to, I think I, think I have to constantly say, even though this is not who I feel like God is today, I feel like God is not that. I have to come back and trust that, no, God has in fact said, that what we see in Jesus, in his life and death and resurrection, this is who God is for me. Yeah. 
Um, and I almost Luther's images. I have to, I have to run away from this hidden God who is full of fear and wrath. And I have to run to the God revealed in the gospel. Oh, and I, I, I find that helpful. Yeah, we say, we say at our church, um, we call people to the Eucharist. Um, you know, there is that hindrance of, oh, I had a, a bad week that will hinder me from feeling like I can come to the table or, or on the opposite side, it's because I had a good week that gives me a, like I'm, I deserve it. And both are wrong. Um, and if you had, um, you know, you're in Christ is what we're calling people to remember. You're, if you had a great week morally, then you had a great week in Christ. If you had a, a failure of a week, then you morally failed in Christ. And that, mm. that almost sounds dangerous to say as if we're justifying sin or we're looking over sin. Um, but we're really calling people to remember who you are fundamentally first. And just as yeah. Wes was saying, we're, we're, we're calling people to remember a, a God who is um, facing you with a face of grace Um He's calling us to repentance. He's calling us to Christ. But it's um, so in prayer, it's this similar way. It's I can get up and because the previous day was pretty morally complicated, maybe at best. And um, I, I don't feel very safe or very welcomed in the presence of Christ. There, there's something in me that's saying that. That's not the, the voice of the Father saying that. Mm. Um, so there is a, a welcome, um, I, I don't, I don't wait enough, you know, there, there's that feeling of like, well, I'll just, I'll go tomorrow as if time is what atones for my sin. It's, yeah. it's the blood of Christ that's, that has welcomed me into the presence of the father. So, um, but also I would maybe encourage people who are having a hard time thinking about prayer is what are you expecting from it? Um, mm. And uh, Wes and I actually had a conversation about prayer for our church along uh, last year or a year and however long ago. Um, time blends now in COVID time, but <laughs> COVID does. Um, yeah. But I, I think he, he, from what I remember that conversation, he was describing something that Alan Jacobs had said of like, correct me, is it something like God has never been there for me or something like that? Yeah, Wes, Stanley Howarross, I think, said that. Oh, yeah. Stanley Howarross, yeah, sorry. Um, in the sense that like, obviously God's been there for him, but it's, right. he's talking about a kind of ruptured experience. Right. It's like, oh, it's just sort of a normal, ordinary thing that I come into the presence of God. And it's just kind of a normal, ordinary right. prayer. And yeah. I guess I would encourage people to just assume that waking up, reading a, a passage of the old Testament and the new Testament and the Psalms, which can take 10 minutes. Um, unless you want to go very contemplatively, you can do it for longer and then spend a few moments in prayer. And it, it doesn't need to be, uh, this awe inspiring moment. Um, it can be a normal, ordinary experience for the long road. And I do think that normal expectation of, I'm just, uh, what does Eugene Peterson described it as I'm going to Spend a few moments in scripture preparing to spend the next 18 hours with Jesus. 
Ah, you know, it's just describing his yeah. day. Where it's, did you yeah. say that, John? That's great. I think um, I think it's his bio. Okay. Uh, that um, what's his name? My colleague just, Wynn Collier. Wrote yes. Yeah. Wynn, yeah, yeah. Wynn. He. So I think he just quotes him from somewhere. Okay. It's at the at the end of at the end of the bio. Um, so I just think just kind of what are you expecting and just shaping and curbing some of your expectations. I. I do think you should long for and hope for and even experience at some point some really heightened moments in the presence of Jesus. Yeah. Um, but I I think we should be okay with just the normal, ordinary. You know, for Jen and I, it's Tuesday and we've had dentist appointments and meetings and writing a sermon and we're all tired, but there is something really important for me to still blink my way through a conversation at the end of the day with you, with Jenna, that it's not trying to get around those moments of weariness, but it's getting through them that actually does provide, I think a deeper intimacy. Um, and I think that's true with God. Just, even if you're just sort of blinking your way through a prayer in the morning is, is important. And, God isn't going to be disappointed with you if you fall asleep. <laughs> right. I don't know. I mean, if if my kid is sitting in my lap and I'm reading to him and he falls asleep, I'm not going to get mad at him. I'm probably going to take right. my phone out and take a picture exactly. of it. You know, it's <laughs> it's something falling asleep and with Jesus isn't a, a terrible thing, the most terrible thing in the world. So, no. anyway. I think um, maybe liturgical churches have one up. Maybe Becca will feel more of this because um, I didn't grow up Baptist, but my school was Baptist and I've grown up non-denominational. I know that they've almost put this expectation of like, don't leave your prayer closet every morning until you've heard a rhema word from God. <laughs> and like, like you say, like the expectation of what you're getting, I think maybe like I was saying, like some of the higher church experiences maybe have one up on us. And like, you don't always have to have that. Yeah. Like, the word of God, if you're reading that, that that is him speaking to you. You don't need some direct, supernatural, almost audible voice telling you something that you could very easily just read in the word yourself because right. that is still God speaking to you. And my, I know that for myself, taking that expectation off of me has freed up my prayer life because it makes you almost feel like I'm not doing something right. I'm not praying correctly right. because I know people that are like, oh no, God, God speaks to me every single day. And it's like, yeah. what do you mean by that? Yeah. And I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you look at it as prayer is ultimately our relationship with God, that our relationships with people, um, you don't have some sort of life altering emotional connection every time you talk to your spouse or to your parents. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it It's a, there needs to be a daily ordinariness. And that has been something that has taken me years to get because we focus so much on those mountaintop experiences um, to know that you are in good standing with God. Um, I, I've, kind of halfway jokingly told people that, you know, my ongoing attraction to the same sex is not my greatest sin, even though most of the world who doesn't know me thinks that that's my biggest problem. Like my biggest problem is that I have so such a deeply ingrained prosperity gospel um, 
in my heart of if I do these things, then God is going to X, Y, Z. And it's those expectations that you talk about, Ashley, that that I've spent my time with God, therefore I should have some warm, fuzzy feeling to get me through the day. Or I've, I've asked for this and therefore God should answer. Or I've been obedient in this way and he needs to keep up his end of the bargain. And that kind of thinking has just poisoned my prayer life in so many different seasons. And, and so that, that's been a huge part of it for me is understanding that it's just relationship. It's just talking with him, spending time, knowing that we're connected and that if I were in a relationship with a person and I expected it to be transactional like that, it it would be horribly abusive and toxic. And I can't expect my relationship with God to be that way. Um, So, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the emphasis on prayer really being about conversation and relationship has been so, so helpful um, for me. Um, well, John, as we are wrapping up, we have um, one question that we have asked all of our guests this season. Um, if, if you could speak with your younger self um, about anything, what what would you say to your younger self? If you want it to be specifically about prayer or just in general, mm-hmm. what what's some words you would have for a younger John? Oh, my goodness. Sheesh. I I think um, I, this isn't specifically about prayer, so sorry. But um, right. maybe if you know, if you read the Psalms, the it seems like the base level of the spirituality of the Psalms is understanding waiting. Hmm. waiting on the Lord. Um, it's uh, resisting the salvation plans and safety schemes that either my own heart is reaching for or the world promises. Um, and this, the psalm seems to, to lead us towards a, a deeper spirituality of waiting and patience, whether it's patience on, on the Lord or even patience with um, what I'm hoping in the world. Um, Mm -hmm. and probably the first 10 years of my adult life, um, probably would have been a lot more relationally and spiritually healthy if I had, I think maybe learned that or grasped that. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that is, you know, my own probably lack of spiritual formation, but also it could have been, I think a lot of, uh, the culture of popular Christianity or maybe the, the part of Christianity that I felt most nurtured in was one that just sort of didn't have a whole lot of patience for waiting on yourself to grow up in Christ, yeah. but to pursue and to be ambitious and give your life away. And, you know, I think probably um, a, a meaningful encounter which was also a, a great moment, but maybe spent me in a, a different direction. I went to Passion One Day at 2000. I don't know if you, mm. <laughs> it, was, it was in Memphis. Um, so yes. just right, right north of you. Um, and, I, you know, it was where Beth Moore and John Piper told us not to waste our life and, and give your life away to ministry. And um, 
I do remember at some level that being both a positive. I do think I took my life more seriously. Um, yeah. I think I was like 19 or 20. And, um, but also I think it, it, uh, it, it made me think I had to be a lot farther along in my spiritual life than, than mm. I was. And, um, I had to prove that I was kind of farther along rather than get just being patient with my own weaknesses and, and welcoming who I was at that point. Um, I yeah. needed to be a lot farther along and, and prove that. So just waiting, being okay with myself and, um, allowing the Lord to kind of lead me along at, at his pace and progress rather than grasping for, um, what I wasn't quite yet. So it's still true. And hopefully I think I've, I've gotten better at doing that with my own kids, um, than I was with myself. So, yeah. Yeah. Waiting, waiting is a good word. Um, I, (laughs) as, as I get older, I think I'm more aware of my need to wait. I don't, I'm not sure that I'm much better at waiting, but I'm definitely more aware of, of the need for waiting. It's, it's probably a good description of me too. Yeah. Well. It's like, welcome, welcome to your forties. Right. Cause I'm, I turned 42 in December. So yeah, I know exactly what y'all have been talking about. It's like, it's a, I understand why God waited until Moses was 40 to like send him out on, <laughs> on his way with things. It makes a lot more sense now. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much. Um, to John and Wesley, who um, had to leave just a couple of minutes early. So he is not here for the close. But John, thank you so much for spending an hour with us talking about yeah. prayer and resilience. And um, just pray that it has been an encouraging word for our listeners today. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. You guys are doing really great work. Keep going. Yeah. Um, I pray you feel a lot of encouragement and blessing from Christ in your work. It's really meaningful and important stuff. So keep going. Yeah, we appreciate it.